Hey, good morning. I'm happy to share and worship with you. Um, as you guys, a lot of you remember, Pastor John got up last week, or if you follow him on social media, you know that John and Lisa's son, Jesse, had um, brain surgery this week to address um, some epilepsy, and I can report that as far as I know, the surgery went really well. Um, they were able to do, yeah. Um, they were able to take out the parts of the brain that they thought they needed to take out. Um, it'll still remains to be seen if, if they actually did get rid of the part that was triggering the epileptic seizures, but they're hopeful that they did. Um, Jesse came through the surgery well. Um, he had a couple of hard days. You know, your brain swells after brain surgery. And so, but when I talked to John late yesterday afternoon, Jesse was on the downside of the pain hill. So, still wasn't feeling good, um, was really looking forward to feeling better than he was at that time, but was at a point where it was getting better rather than worse. And so, um, and, and John just spoke to me a little bit, and I know he will talk to you guys later, but just how powerful and, and privileged it felt to just have so many people loving you and praying for you and surrounding you in the way that you all did with John and Lisa and, and Jesse. So um, they're really thankful for that. There was some other good news from the Rittenhouse family. Um, I don't know if you follow Westmont Track very closely, but, but Audrey PR'd yesterday in the pole vault. She jumped 298, which converts out to 9 feet 9 inches. So it was a new pole vault PR. And Emily had a particularly good um, thrift shopping episode. She got... <laughs> Um, she got like a whole week, week's worth of clothes for just 30 bucks, so she was really stoked about that. So good week for the Rittenhouse family. So, so today we're going to talk about memory, and I'll just confess something that happened in the first service that was, is the definition of irony, and that is I forgot that the first service ends at 10.15 and not at 10 while I'm talking about memory. And so when I saw the minute hand right near the 12, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm out of time. And I rushed to finish and kind of cut some things off. And so, you know, you can, can kind of see what happened there. So you're talking about memory and you forget what time the service actually ends. So this service actually does end at 12. So I, I'm, I'm good now. I just watched the minute hand and I know I'm going to be okay. So... Um, so we'll watch this. But, but that's what we're talking about today is, is memory. And so you can tell all of us have some things we remember well and some things we don't. For me, I don't remember what time the service is in very well, okay? And there's other things I'm really good at. We're, some of us were talking about this during the break. Um, so like movie lines, book lines, song lyrics, stuff like that, conversations, I'm really good at remembering that. Um, not as good as some people when the Lord of the Rings movies came out, you know, I, I read those books a lot and I would watch them and I, I could notice when they had changed a line from the book, I would know, okay, that's almost like the line from the book, but then my son would be sitting there next to me and he'd say, yeah, and the line is this, and then he would tell me the line. He was even better at this than I was. But some people are really good with numbers, um, some people are really good with circumstances, um, some people are really good at just remembering um, things from movies or books or, or things like that. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm really good at some things, remembering where my keys are, remembering um, who I told what 
I was going to do. That I have a hard time with. There was times where I used to have to stand up in front of groups like this and say, I know I have an appointment with somebody Tuesday, but I can't remember who it is. Can you come see me? And, and I've learned some things to get around that. But the thing is, is that memory is, is a really fascinating thing. There's parts of it we're really good at, and there's parts of it some of us aren't. But there is a way, and that's what we're going to talk about today, that we can get a hold of our memories and be intentional about the process of creating and accessing our memories that can really be a transformative thing in our lives. So I'm, I'm curious, though, to just give you guys a chance to practice your own memory. Let's see how good some of you guys are at. Now, some people are good at numbers, okay? So here's a five-number series. Look at this for a minute. I'll give you a few seconds to memorize this sequence, okay? Some of you, it'll help you to say it out loud a little bit. I'm like that when I want to memorize things. I, I say them, and it helps me. 12, 6, 15, 18, 2. Okay. okay. You guys ready? Now it's going to go away for a bit. Okay. Now. Okay, it's not there. Good. Um, while it's not there, can you do the numbers? Okay. The numbers are? 12, Hey, look at that. You guys got it right. So how many of you guys got that right? I, I'm competitive. I like to quantify things. All right. Okay, I, I wouldn't have got those right. Okay, how many of you, some people remember lines and stuff really well. How many of you recognize this stellar bit of dialogue? Yesterday was Valentine's Day. What, what, is, what is this from? Star Wars. Empire Strikes Back. Empire Strikes Back, right? Who is it that says the first line, I love you? No, no, no. Who says the first line? Princess Leia. Yeah. Not Carrie Fisher. It's Princess Leia that says it. Um, and who says the second line? Han Solo. Han Solo. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Han Solo is about to be locked up into carbonite. And finally, Princess Leia just has to express herself just before he goes away. And she says, I love you. And he looks at her with just like the coolest look of all time and says, I know. Okay, here, here's one that might be a little bit better. What did you have for lunch on Friday? No, don't say it out loud. But how many of you guys, or, or let's go back. How many of you guys knew the dialogue from Star Wars? Okay, not, not quite as many. Better with numbers than Star Wars, okay? And then how many of you guys can tell me, or can remember what you had for lunch on Friday? A little bit better. Here's my answer. I had a burrito. Now, for me, this has about a 45% chance of being right on any day. So if you ask me what I had for lunch yesterday or two weeks ago or something like that, I'm going to say burrito and I'm going to be about a 50-50 chance that I got it right, okay? But what do you remember? Memory is a really fascinating thing. Like I said, some of us get something, some of us don't. Tonight we're going to get together. Um, for our family, one of our family birthday events. We're going to be celebrating my daughter-in-law's birthday, Wendy's birthday, and my brother's birthday. And when we have these events, it's, I have a brother and a sister. It's really fascinating when the storytelling happens, what we remember. Now, my brother has really clear memories of childhood and is a great storyteller and just tells amazing stories of the kids we grew up with and stuff that happened in high school and things like that. 
I don't remember that stuff very well. I have some stories, and I think some of it is because part of my, just as I've moved into life, you know, I was teaching college, I was coaching track, where I, I was, had hundreds of new people come into my life every year that I had to learn their stories and stuff like that. And I think who did what with whom in high school um, just kind of went away. And this was the 70s, and it's not the normal 70s story for me. I, I didn't do that. It's just, well, I did hit my head a lot. But um, that's, I'll talk about that in a minute, too. But my brother remembers stuff I don't remember. My sister, amazingly, has another set of memories. She'll remember stuff that my brother and I don't remember and says that we don't remember or, or she can't remember the stuff that we remember. And she accuses us of making things up. Which is true some of the time, but not all the time. And then, and then also, this is a, a bit more poignant, but, you know, this will be the first birthday. My mom's birthday was also my brother's birthday, and it will be the first one since she died last fall. And one of the things we, we dealt with with my mom was she had dementia the last several years of her life from the neurological order that, uh, disorder that finally killed her. So memory is a is a big thing. And, and when people lose their memories, we really kind of lose who we are, right? Um, and it's really hard when people have lost that ability to remember and lost their stories. Our very identity is tied up into that. I mean, I'm, I've hit my head enough that I've worried about this for a while. I've had three major concussions where I've been unconscious and a bunch of minor ones. So for about the last dozen years, every time I can't remember where my keys are or can't remember somebody's name, I'm like, oh, is this it? Is this it? Um, and now, luckily, I'm old enough now that if I can't remember, it's just normal Alzheimer's. It's not early onset anymore. Yeah, that's kind of awkward. It's sort of funny, but it's sort of not, right? But I'm talking about myself, so it's okay. Yeah, I've hit my head a lot. Um, I have a really big head, and it's just, it's, I bash it into things quite a bit. So, Here's the genesis of why we're talking about memory today. You might recognize this guy. His name is Brian Williams. So he is, um, or right now, the anchor on NBC News, but he's on suspension. The reason he's on suspension is that back in, during the Gulf War, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, um, American journalists would embed with different U.S. military units. They wanted them to have a first-hand experience of what it was like to be in combat. And when Williams came back from that, he told a number of stories about his experience being embedded with several different American units. And what's fascinating about it is, as they've looked very closely at what he's told over the years, his early versions of his story were exactly what happened. But if you're following the story, in the, as the years have gone on, his stories have exaggerated. And he's now remembering things that other people that were there don't remember and say, in fact, it couldn't have happened. And, you know, what Williams has said to some extent is that, you know, I was trying to honor the guys that I was with. Because his stories are not about how awesome he was and what he did. His stories are how awesome the guys he was with were. But still, he's doing something that a lot of us do, I think. He was trying to be impressive. As his story was going along, he wanted to have a better story. He wanted to have a story that was better than the one that actually happened to him. 
And, and you can imagine how that goes, because I think most of us have done this at some time or another. When we've been trying to impress somebody, we tell a story about ourselves that leaves some things out, and then you start to tell you about a story about yourself that could have been true, wasn't quite true, but could have been true, that makes you look kind of good. Um, I think all of us can get stuck in this way of wishing we had a better story and then going ahead and starting to tell one that's a little bit better along the way. You know, I, because of that, I'm inclined to cut Williams a little bit of slack. Also, he once covered Snoop's Gin and Juice in a way that was really good. He didn't sound like a square dance caller, which is hard when you're a white guy covering hip-hop. But he did that pretty well. And also, um, my son and his daughter went to college together. If you count, she was a freshman or a senior when my son was a freshman at a school of 10,000 people, and they didn't know each other, but they were there at the same time. Um, <laughs> see how we can construct our stories. It's true that our kids went to college together. Um, but, uh, but it's usually when we are trying to be impressive that we do this. Now, the problem with Williams is his credibility in his job is based on him telling things truthfully. And so this story that was really trying to give honor to the other guys and make himself look more impressive really undercuts his credibility as a newsman along the way, which is why he's in big trouble. But here's the thing. I think the path that Williams went down is hardwired into us that if we are not careful, and if we don't put something better in its place, it's something that's easy for all of us to do, because we all want to have a good story. And we'd all be happy, I think, to have a slightly better story than the one we've had. So this is a temptation that's for us every time we tell our stories. But if we have something that can be in the place of that desire to be impressive, God could do something really good with that. Moreover, this ability that we have to create stories that can go in really wrong directions, like has happened with Brian Williams, is something that God actually counts on using to guide us in our own lives. That there is a process in the Bible where God tells his people how they are to remember certain things. And he tries, wants us to be guided by our memory. And we're also going to see just briefly at the end, this really wonderful thing, that while our own memories and our own stories are kind of all over the place, we can count on the fact that God always remembers us. And that's some good news that we can really hold on to. So, as we think about memory, the first place we get stuck with memory is that we want to be impressive. And so we end up creating stories but what we really need is to be loved. We want to be impressive. And who doesn't? Who doesn't want to have a better story from your past? If you played sports in high school, that's a notorious place where people inflate their stats. Um, people get better, you know, it's the old line, the older I get, the better I was that people have. I mean, that just happens over and over again. It's, it's, a, it's a human thing that people do. We'd all like to have a better story. We'd all like to, if, you, if two people ask you to the prom over years, that turns into four people asking you to the prom. Um, or, or if your story is a negative one, you know. 
It, it gets worse as you go along. If your dog liked you, you'd like to look back and think that your, the dog you grew up with liked you even more. I mean, it's just something that we do. We all want to be impressive. But what I think that desire to impress other people is, is sort of a distorted version of our desire to be loved. And the good news here is if we can just get a hold of how deeply and profoundly God loves us, that need to impress people, that need to create a better story, starts to go away. I want to pick up with a verse I looked at last month when I was, or in December when I was last up here. This is a passage from Daniel. And you might remember, what's going on here is, is this is being spoken to Daniel, the man that God has raised up to lead his people and speak to him. And the speaker here is the angel of the Lord. He's speaking on God's behalf to Daniel. Daniel's about to do this big thing where he's going to stand up to the Babylonians and lead the people. And he's quite understandably kind of freaked out. But I want you to notice this. That Notice what, and it's highlighted up here, um, notice what the angel says to him. He doesn't say, Daniel, who is a great speaker, you've got this. He doesn't say, Daniel, who I know is courageous. He doesn't say, Daniel, who's done all of these things in the past, and I know you're going to do this. Or, Daniel, I know you're the kind of guy who just doesn't care, and I know you're going to be okay. Instead, the thing that the angel says to Daniel, that's the most profound thing that he can do to help him face a scary difficult situation where one, if you needed to be impressive, he's about to talk to the king of Babylon. You kind of want to have your, your stuff together. He tells him this. He says, Daniel, you are greatly, profoundly loved. And because of that, because of that, he says, you're going to be safe and you can be strong and courageous. And Daniel tells us it worked. When he said this to me, I was strengthened and I said, you know, go ahead and talk to me because my Lord has strengthened me. I can, I can face what I'm going to face next. See, what, what's behind that desire that Brian Williams had and a lot of us have along the way is we're not quite sure that we in and who we are right now is quite enough to the, for the situation. And so we want to have a slightly better story that will fit the situation that much better. But here, because Daniel knew that he was deeply loved, it's like, yeah, I can face this now. So when we think we need to impress people, what that really is, is a covered up desire to know that we're loved. Now that phrase that's translated greatly beloved, it's literally in in Hebrew, it says it's a man who is coveted or desired. And it's something the translators had a hard time with because it's such a passionate word. But if that's what I want to suggest to you today is that if we could just get a hold in even just a little bit of how profoundly loved we are by God, about how deeply connected we are to God by his love, and how much we can count on that, our need to create our own story, our need to create our own truth, starts to go away. Our need to make up stories starts to go away. Because what happens is that love constructs truth. If you really understand how deeply God loves you, not because he has to, because it's his job, but because he wants to, not because he's required to by the job description of being God, oh, okay, these people, I don't know, but I got to love them because it's my job. God loves us because he finds us desirable. 
We may not find our stories all that interesting, but God finds each of us and our stories absolutely fascinating. And he loves them in an incredible way. So if you know you are loved, that creates its own truth. So again, we think we need to be impressive, but what we really need is to be loved. Know that you are. A, a second reality that I think is, is helpful here is to understand that memory is constructed. Now, here's what I mean by that. It literally is constructed in our brain. Every time we remember something, when I remember the burrito that I had for lunch on Friday, which is distinct from the burrito I had for lunch yesterday, um, when I remember that burrito, you know, we imagine our brains are like hard drives or file cabinets that there's like a little data point that is somewhere in there, that there's like a burrito place in my brain where those things, my burrito memory sits. But actually, our memories are scattered all over the cortex of our brain, and that every time we remember something, we're gathering little disparate bits of data and putting them together in a story. So memory literally is constructed. Now, this means that our memories are very malleable. They've done studies where they can actually convince people that they experience things that they never experienced. Have you guys heard about some of these studies where they'll, they'll take people, they'll tell them stories, um, and people will often, for instance, this is a great example, people will often claim they have memories of when they were two years old. They'll remember stuff along the way. And actually, the cerebral cortex cortex of your brain is not developed enough until at least two and a half for you to actually remember things. But some of you here probably have very distinct memories of being two, of looking through the bars of your crib or some event that's happened. The reason you have those memories is that those were stories that your family told. And what you're remembering is not looking through the bars, it's that you're remembering the story. And Enough people told you, yeah, I can remember you looking through the bars. And the thing is, is that the way these memories work is you don't remember a little kid. You're not seeing it from their point of view. You remember what it looked like from the inside of the bars, even though it's impossible for you to have remembered that. Memory is a constructed thing. And so because it's a constructed thing, we can use it in a positive sense or we can use it in a negative sense. So we can construct memories to deal with our need to feel important, like Brian Williams did. Or, or here, here's another example. Um, in 1983, President Reagan was meeting with um, the Prime Minister of Israel. And they were here in the United States. It was the first visit here. And he was telling the Prime Minister, trying to, I think, build a connection and to show him how deeply he was on the side of the people of Israel and the Jewish people. President Reagan was talking about his experience of being in World War II and being part of the film crew that went to several of the, um, several of the concentration camps and filmed them after they were liberated. The problem with President Reagan's story is that he was never in Germany. He spent the whole of World War II in Culver City. He was part of the team that put those films together. But can you see what he was doing? I don't think he was trying to lie. 
But he was trying to identify so much with the Israeli prime minister, and he later did this again with Elie Wiesel, a famous Jewish Nobel laureate, so wanted to identify with their experience that he put himself in that story. And it could have been true. He could have gone there, but he didn't. And, and my point is not to rip on Brian Williams or President Reagan, but just to show that our need and our ability to construct, our need to feel important and our ability to construct memories is really, really powerful. You know, you thought if anybody doesn't need to feel important, it would be the President of the United States, right? You're kind of a big deal guy. You get a house, you get a car, you get all these people along the way. And yet, even President Reagan, you know, at the peak of his game, felt like he had to do that along the way. Um, and like I said, I don't know that this makes us bad people, but it's, it's part of our human wiring. And this desire to have good memories and to have good stories is just deeply, deeply wired into us. Now, here's what's really interesting, is that the Lord doesn't say, hey, knock it off. Don't do that. But what he does instead is says, take that ability to create memories and put it to use in the right way. Now, let me give you an example of how this works. If you go to the first part of the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is giving a long speech to the people of Israel. Um, Deuteronomy takes place like 40 years after the Israelites came out of Egypt, after they were saved from Egypt, went through the Red Sea, showed up at Mount Sinai, received the covenant, and then a generation, that generation that came out of Egypt dies off in the wilderness. And so when the book of Deuteronomy happens, it's 40 years later. So everybody that Moses is talking to was born in the wilderness. They didn't walk through the Red Sea. They weren't there on the night of the Passover. Um, they weren't there at Mount Sinai when it happened. And so what Moses is trying to do, before they go into the promised land, he's trying to give them like a review. All right, guys, we're about to do it, so let's be reminded one more time of who we're about, what our story is, and the way that God wants us to live our lives in the land. That's what Deuteronomy is. But look at the language that Moses uses here. In um, This is Deuteronomy chapter 4. He's talking to the people of Israel, none of whom were at Mount Sinai, but he says, remember the day that you stood before the Lord at Horeb, which is the word Deuteronomy uses for Sinai, Horeb or Sinai, when the Lord said, assemble the people before me and hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. Do you see what he says there? He doesn't say remember when your ancestors, when your fathers and mothers were there. He says, remember when you were there. It's curious, isn't it? So, since the Lord is doing this, I'm presuming this is okay. And that he kind of wants us to do this. And I think that's what the Lord is doing. He is taking our natural inclination to tell stories, to construct memories. And he's saying, this is the memory I want you to construct. I want you to think. What he wants them to do is to think that these things that the Lord did didn't happen to them back then, but that they happened to me. Now, there's something powerful in that, to realize that, hey, it wasn't with our fathers and mothers, and, he, and it, they exactly say that later on in Deuteronomy. It's not with our fathers and mothers that the Lord made this co covenant. He made it with us here, standing today. 
There is something really powerful if you're a follower of Jesus when you can begin to get a hold of the truth that what God has done for His people over time, He didn't do back then for them. He did it now for me. That it wasn't with my ancestors that he made this covenant at Sinai. It wasn't just with people living 2,000 years ago that Jesus died on the cross, but that he died for me and that I was there, that I was a part of it. And so you'll see this along the way, and, and this happens repeatedly throughout Deuteronomy. He tells them, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord redeemed you. This is why I give you this command today. That pops up eight times in Deuteronomy, where it's a motivation for people living generations later to say, not that my ancestors were slaves in Egypt, but that I was a slave in Egypt. What the Lord is doing is is he's taking this really powerful capacity we have for memory and story and putting it to use not to empower us to have more impressive stories, but to empower us to see ourselves in the midst of the great drama that God is accomplishing with his people. That this is a story, not that one that you watch, but it's a story that you have been a part of and that you're invited to see yourself as a part of as well. That is part of the good news of what we're doing in Christ, is that God's best work was not done with those people back then but that it's done with me right now. That I was a slave in Egypt, and God saved me. That I stood at Mount Sinai and made this covenant with the Lord. That I stood at the foot of the cross and watched Jesus give his life for me, and that I was there at the tomb and saw Jesus resurrected. That the Lord wants to give us permission to use our imagination and to use our memory to see ourselves as part of that story. And so, what he wants us to see is that since memory is constructed, we should make good memories. And understand, we're not making things up. We're not imagining when you imagine that you were there at Mount Sinai. That's not the same thing as imagining that you hit three home runs to to win the game or that, uh, yeah, you totally could have played in the NFL, but you just decided not to. It's not the same thing, and I, and I hope you can, can see the difference there. But memory is a conscious process. Now, some of you who've gone through really difficult circumstances um, and had really difficult experiences, you know how powerful it is when you can begin to get a hold of your memories, when you can begin to tell your own story in a way that helps you rather than hurts you. Memory has the capacity to tear us down, and it also has the capacity to build us up. And what the Lord wants us to do is to use that capacity for memory to build us up, to make good memories along the way. If there's a way to do that, I think there's three parts to it. One is that we need to remember who we once were, to be real about our story, to be real about the ways that we've been broken, the ways that we've been lost, the things that have happened to us, that were done to us, and the things that we've done to others that that is part of your story, but it's not all of your story. To remember who we are right now in Christ, that we may be someone who's done this or that thing that was bad, but that's not who you are right now. And then along with that is to remember who the Lord is. Those three things, remembering who you were, 
remembering who you are now and remembering who the Lord is and will always be is how we construct memories that are life-giving rather than memories that will tear us down. And a lot of us have done that. We've gotten stuck on particular memories that are true in the sense that they correspond to some certain facts in our lives, but they're not at all true for who God is and who he wants you to be and what the Lord wants to do in your life. That we give power to certain memories by the way we remember them, and we lose the power of how the Lord wants to be at work in our lives because we've not learned a new story. So here's an example of this. Um, This is a passage I like to go to a lot of times because it gets kind of the whole Christian story along the way. So if you're trying to figure out, remember who you were, and who you are, and who the Lord is. This is a great example. This is from Titus chapter 3. So, is this your story? Because anybody who has made the decision to follow Jesus, this is your story. And you need to learn it. You need to learn that this is who you are. So he says this, when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. And it's not because of the righteous things that we had done but because of his mercy, that that's part of your story. That's who you are. He saved us. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal that takes care of that parts of yourself that you may not be all that happy with, that you wish were gone. Those have been washed away. Can you remember that happening? Can you feel that happening? I invite you to feel those feelings because it has. If you've given yourself to Jesus in that way, You have been washed clean. And this happens through the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So, that having been justified, being brought back into relationship with God by grace, we might become heirs, inheritors, people who already have it, having the hope of eternal life. Is that your story? If you have given your life to Jesus, it is, whether you realize it or not. And what God wants you to do is go to to work of making that part of your memories, that this is just as real and just as valuable as anything else that you can remember. But to do that process of remembering who we were, remembering who you are right now in Jesus, and remembering who the Lord is. And here's one other great thing. If you want to remember who the Lord is, he is someone who remembers us. He remembers you. Our own memories can be faulty. It could be numbers. It could be, like I mentioned before, what time the service ends. Um, It could be any number of things that we mess up along the way. But the Lord always, always remembers us. One of my favorite parts of the Bible is... um, the second half of the book of Isaiah, starting at chapter 40. That's aimed at Israel after they have failed, after they've gone into exile, where they've basically blown it. They've taken all of God's grace, all of God's mercy, their second, fourth, and 22nd chances, blew them all away, and finally had to live with the implications of walking away from God's best. And they thought that God was done with them. And what is just brilliant about those 26 chapters in the latter part of Isaiah is God is absolutely real with how Israel's failed. It's not like, oh, whatever, it doesn't matter. It matters 
The way they'd blown it, the way they'd failed matters absolutely. But what the Lord does in a variety of really amazing ways is he convinces them that what matters even more is his love and his willingness to be with them, to continue to be his God, their God, and for them to continue to be his people. And it, it's just, it's, it's a brilliant connection. Um, in chapter 49, there's a verse we're going to look at in just a minute. What's going on there is that the Lord is speaking to the belief that the Israelites had that the Lord had forgotten them. And, and the reason, it's not that they thought that something was wrong with the Lord. It was that they thought that was the best possible path for them. You probably know this feeling. If you've really let somebody down or you've really blown it, probably the best thing that could happen is for somebody to just forget about it, right? You know, forget about you, forget about the thing that you've done, that, man, if they could just forget this, or if you've really blown it and you're waiting for them to mention it and then they forget to talk about you, talk about it, and you're just like, oh, that's so great. But intuitively, when we've blown it, we think we ought to be forgotten, and at the same time, we kind of hope that we'll be forgotten. Look at what the Lord says in this passage. Um, he says, look, I've written your name on the palms of my hands. You guys ever do that? You ever write things on your hands? I have a head curdy write something with a pen that hurt a lot on my wrist so I could remember a couple things um, a, couple of, a year and a half ago. But have you ever done that, just to remind yourself, write something on your hand? Look at what the Lord is saying. In order to remember us, in order to let us know that we, not us collectively, but each of us individually are completely, the Lord's mind is completely on us. He says, I've written your name on the palm of my hand. Not collectively the people of Living Spring or collectively the people of Southern California, but every one of us, who has a name, the Lord has written our name on the palm of our hands. So the thing is, is our memory is going to come and go. It's going to be fallible. It's something we're going to use for our own benefit, and we're going to probably use it in negative ways along the way. But what's really great is that the Lord's memory of us never fades that the, through all of these ups and downs, these steps forward and steps back, the Lord always remembers us. We are always in that place. Vajra will come back up. I want you to just think about that. Think about what it would take to put your memory to work for the Lord. To remember first that you are deeply and powerfully and passionately loved by God. That whatever you think you need to make up with other people to make yourself look better or feel better or feel like you're more on top of it, the Lord's love is enough. And I want to encourage you to find your way into that love and let it be enough. And then let the Lord begin to be at work in your memories. To remember who you are, to remember who you were, but above all, remember who the Lord is. Someone who remembers you 
and someone who loves you deeply. Thank you.